All right, welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast. And today I have, I feel like you're a legend in the making. I always have legends in the making of legends. Yeah, are you? So, so. I'm not there yet, but you're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but you're doing it. Um, literally, he's created a like a completely different concept um, as a social media marketing agency. So mm-hmm. James Shogun, mm-hmm. who is the founder and CEO of Shogun Social. Indeed. Thank you for having me. Well done. Uh, well done for your award as well last year. Thank you. I had two last year. Yeah, so, two awards. Yeah. And one was a graduate. Yeah, graduate entrepreneur of the year from my old university. And the other one was uh, rising star of the year from the National Startup Series. That's sick. How did those, how did those come about? Um, well, they reached out to me on email. Um, mm-hmm. And usually I was like, oh, great. It's one of the ones I have to pay for to get my award. Yeah. But actually it wasn't. You just end up end up winning it or you don't uh, I didn't even turn up because I was skeptical that you know you, was, you didn't turn up to either awards I turned up to the one near my university because it was 10 minutes away from me uh, but, <laughs> but the rising star of the year one I, I didn't go to and then I just saw on Twitter that, that we won I was like oh sick oh no <laughs> you didn't attend no one from your team attended it was in Reading and they were charging me £75 per person per table oh it, and I, obviously that's... the cheap cheapskate me it was like it's the principal right I'm yeah, not <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go there as a possible award winner to pay but that's how they make their money yeah exactly they didn't get any out of me but still <laughs> <laughs> it still works so did you still get your trophy or something in the post? yeah yeah they sent it to me oh wicked yeah. so I guess it was it was worth it if you paid £75 you would have paid £75 for your trophy yeah it was a piece of glass with a piece of paper in it so I'm glad it didn't go <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. that's amazing yeah thank you what did um what was their basis for the both of the awards? What mm. were they based on? To be honest, for the Solent University one, I've got not a clue. Um, I was sitting down with the uh, director of the business school who was at a networking event at, mm. at Barclays Eagle Labs where we're based, mm. and she was like, "Oh my god, you need to apply to these awards." I was like, "Really? It's been ages since I graduated. I graduated in 2018." She was like, "No, anyone from like I think 2015 onwards can count for it because they choose at someone mm. else every year, um, and we just happen to win basically based on our kind of growth and and what we're doing this year." Okay. And that was it. I didn't know what the criteria was. <laughs> but, you. But, but you it was a it. couple of clicks and I think they advocate for you internally. So if they know what you do, and I happen to do a lot with the university in terms of mentoring, video collaborations and stuff like that. And one day I hope to work with them on their social medias because TikTok needs a little bit of work. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so that's just how that happened. And then the National Startup Awards was literally kind of an online application that was slightly longer, lots of questions to answer. Mm. But I'd done them previously for other things like um, onboarding with certain clients from procurement. Mm. So the explanations of our business were already done so, I was so like, you can just copy and paste it basically. exactly tweaked them a little bit to make sure they were nice and spiffy but after that it was sorted did you do it yourself or did you get someone else no I saw, I did it myself for those two okay wouldn't recommend it's very long I uh, know it is because <laughs> my, my friends have sent me um, applications for funding mm. and and sometimes I don't do them because it is funding is longer than people expected. It's me. long. The and government don't give sense. you money unless you go for a hell of a lot of work for it. Yeah, and they well, think they give these contracts out willy nilly. They no, don't. No, they don't. <laughs> like I've, I mean, I understand that because the other day I had a client say that she's gonna be. Um, she was like, "Hey, I'm not gonna respond for a whole week because I'm applying for a fund," mm-hmm. and I was just like, <laughs> "Yeah, that that checks out." A it whole is, week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, literally. It's, it's like you have to write essays. The thing with the government funding is you have to create a new project around mm. the funding you're going for. Yeah. So a lot of the times you're trying to find some angle on what you currently already do and then find a way to finesse the things you actually need. So if you look at Innovate UK, they do lots of different stuff. I was looking at the Creative Catalyst program that they have. They mm. give up to 50K for people who apply. Mm. And that's a grant. You'd have to pay that back. So I was like, oh, sounds like a bit of me. Mm. Um, but <laughs> when I actually looked at it, we had to create an entirely new project project to work mm-hmm. on that's not just our existing business and on top of that um, there were so many stringent ins and outs in terms of how you can use the money so for when launching a new project or a startup ad funding is probably one of the things you need most you're like, I need advertising you need to know people people need to know who the brand is yeah. um, you're not allowed to use it for that so you're, you're not allowed to use it for advertising no. so you can't use it for Facebook ad costs or billboards or anything you want okay um, so you have to find another way to do it so you'd have to reach out to an agency to get work commissioned and then you could use that as a quote. Right. But before you've even won the funding, you have to go out and you have a way to get all of these quotes for service providers so it fits within them. the guidelines of what the government want. And then they still, you're judged by a panel of about six when it comes to Innovate UK on actually putting the funding in. So it's far more difficult than people give it credit for, but it's not impossible. 
And I would recommend getting a bid writer in for anyone yeah. who's looking to do it. That's what literally I was told that this week because my friend that um, that sent me a fund was like, "Did you apply for the fund I told you?" I said, "No, no. sorry, I didn't." <laughs> and then he was like, "You don't have time, so maybe you should get someone to do it for you." I said, "Yeah, yeah that's a good idea actually." Because yeah. I, I remember I don't know if you've heard of um startup um startup startup fund something UK something along those lines mm. there's like a, a company that basically writes them for you have nice you, have you heard of them I haven't no but there's always individuals that do it so a lot yeah. of a lot of individuals that used to work public sector now have it as a side hustle to say they'll write them because they know exactly like what to them. write in them yeah and you just pay the individual so I know one guy I just haven't actually reached out to him yet because I'm like oh, I can do it <laughs> Regret, <laughs> much regret. <laughs> it's long, honestly. But anyway, mm. so on to you, basically. So for those that don't know, um, James started his social media agency two years, no, three years ago. Two and a half. Two and a half right years in the middle, ago. Yeah. Right in the middle, right? August 2020. Yeah. So before we get on to like, why you started it, the journey so mm -hmm. far, um, take us back a little bit. Right. Back, back, back. So just before the camera started rolling, I asked you, where was you raised? Mm -hmm. Where are you from? What's yep. your upbringing? Give us the intel. What's, who's James? <laughs> who's James? That's a question I ask myself every day. Um, no, so I, I grew up in Southampton, born and raised. Okay. Um, it wasn't particularly the best area for ethnic diversity, in my opinion, because it's not like, you know, I think I was one of the only two black kids in my school. So identity there was one thing, plus mm. being a bit half and half is, a, is another. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, it, it was all kind of very you know, outside London, council estate. It's not like I was you know, raised anywhere posh. So it was mm. it was a weird one where a lot of my exposure to the business world just wasn't there. My only exposure to the business world was Dragon's Den and The Apprentice, kind of like mo most of us, right? Yeah. I didn't meet my first business owner until I was 23, and I was already working and graduated and everything. First business owner? What do, yeah. you, so, what do you mean? Just so anyone who'd actually run a company, like a managing director, or like I've never met one, because I'd only worked in either... Um, retail or I just started in a larger so my first job at university was working in B&Q's advertising team but you uh, don't exactly get to meet the board Yeah. Exactly. so <laughs> I had to work two agency jobs well one uh, one in, in house and then another agency job before I actually met whoever was running the company mm. so I never actually had exposure to what it was like to run a business or how you can and very much the potential of what you can see is what you're exposed to exactly. and I think a lot of that outside of London is so limited a lot of the time um, so, yeah, it, it was an interesting upbringing. Um, my school was trash. My <laughs> school was very trash. Okay. Um, it made some lovely headlines because um, it merged two really rough schools in our area. Um, and they had a turf war already. So, like, if you saw someone from that school, it was on site already. They merged those two, two schools for some... So the two schools that used to fight each other? They merged them. Okay. Dumbest thing I'd ever seen. It was an all-boys school versus a mixed school, right? So it already wasn't good. Mm. As soon as they made the merger, 70% of the, the female population left, uh, for rightly so, because it was a, a shitstorm. Mm. <laughs> it really was. Um, and there was literally riots in the hall. So I was a fresh-faced year seven. And there was, for some I don't know how it ever got this out of control, mm. but there's literally kids riding mopeds through the halls. What? Throwing in chair, in yeah, Southampton? Yeah, right, like throwing chairs through windows, like... For like what you this do. sounds like a, a a school in the states yeah far in the it, ghetto. Ha it happens out here too <laughs> that was happening in southampton yeah yeah i don't know why people think southampton's posh we have like we're in a place that should be posh but we have like a, a, a northern economic output so like we're right. we're kind of trash to be honest um <laughs> the, the theory behind it is is that we we were bombed so much during world war ii and we oh, never, okay. because we built Spitfires in Southampton. Mm. And that was like the thing that was killing the game back then. And no one ever repaired it. So it was all like really splintered and it never came together as a community. So it doesn't have a strong identity, apparently. Uh. Um, but yeah, getting back on track. So that was my experience as a, as a year seven. How I got out of that school with any GCSEs. Because that was just a year seven experience. Then it was just a trash school after half or it sorted itself out. Um, but I think it gave me a bit of determination because I saw what was available to me which was piss all basically so in school what like what inspired you did you have any idea as to what you was going to do what james is going to be about absolutely like, not really it came during college time so like most people you've got no idea what mm. you're going to do after school mm. so i was like okay i'm going to do tv and film because that sounds a bit of a laugh um <laughs> it was also that and i was like i also like like every every kid had a shark obsession at some point like I, I was obsessed with great white sharks and i wanted to like study him then i looked into how you could become a marine biologist and i was like 
I'm not smart enough for that. Let me, let me, let me film them from the boat and then I can still be involved. Um, And then I was like, okay, I did that. So I did TV and film two and a half years. Mm. At the same time, I got my first retail job at Foot Locker, Mm. um, which weirdly enough has like full, like a sales culture and commission, Mm. uh, which not a lot of people know about. Oh, what? So you can earn money in? Yeah, yeah. So you have to like earn like, you have to sell over like a thousand pounds worth of trainers in the week. Then after that, there was like a certain commission on top of what you did. So how often did you do that? Uh, I was working part-time at Foot Locker for like three or four years on and off because I was always trying to jump to a different job to be more ambitious and actually came back because it was more of a laugh because all my mates were there. Um, but that stoked the, the sales fire in me because you were targeted on selling shoes, also like insoles that no one wanted and the spray that no one wanted. Um, oh, so you, that's what they do. So in, in the shop, when I'm just like, oh, you're trying to help me out. Yeah. It's a, it's a target. Yeah, it's a target. And no one, no one wants it. No one wants it, but they didn't have to do it. it um, yeah, yeah. And they, they get targeted in what's called multis. So like any, if they're just buying one thing, make them buy another thing somehow. And yeah. like you're targeting on the amount of those. So going through that far, because that sucks. Like as a 16, 17 year old, it's like the last thing you want to do. Mm. Um, but you end, I ended up getting really competitive with it. End up like breaking the sales record at that particular thing. And I was like, okay. Now I'm at the age where I'm about to choose what uni I'm going to go to. Mm. I'm like, I don't, I've never been to uni before. I don't know what I'm going to do. Wait, pause one second. Yes. Your parents. Yes. Did they have any influence on any of these, or, of these decisions at all? Or did they just say, do whatever you want, James? No, my parents are very supportive. Okay. Well, I have one extremely supportive parent and one like ultra cautious parent. So my dad was like, you know, it's good jobs going down at the council. Like he's one of them. He <laughs> like the most secure office job possible. Get into mm. that. And then my mum's like go ahead, achieve dreams, whatever it is, mm. you know, let's go. I was like, cool, all right, whatever. Um, so you kind of merge those two together and somehow you get somewhat of a sensible human being. Um, <laughs> and then get to this point where you're like, right, end of college, mm. not a clue what I'm going to do. Mm. Uh, I think I spent a third year at a different college just to try out because I did a B-Tech in TV and film. Mm. And I tried A-levels and I'm glad I didn't do them from the start because they're well hard. Um, and not a very um, academic person, mm-hmm. very much a... Creative, creative type person, yeah yeah. Like well, yeah yeah so i was like i'm glad i didn't stick with that because i wouldn't have come out with any qualifications um so i had the choice and i was like well i'm good at selling and i know how to make stuff on tv and film now i'm like okay let me just merge the two let me do advertising at university so i did advertising at Stony university very very functional for some reason the day i went into uni because it was in my town as well because i was like i'm not can't be asked to go somewhere. Sorry, pause one second. I've got mm-hmm. a question. Mm-hmm. How did you know about advertising? Because I only knew about advertising when I got hired into advertising as an adult. So how did you put the two and two together and think, I like selling, I like TV, advertising is a thing. How did you figure that out? Scrolling through the course list online. Oh, okay. And then you just read, read up about it and thought this sounds like yeah. a good merge. Okay. Yeah, it, it was just like, seems legit because what else do you have to go off of at that age? It's like, Your it's parents. not like... <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, Literally, that's it. Yeah, lucky. It's either your parents are yeah. like, right, lawyer, doctor, whatever. Yeah, and you yeah. get that or you get, I don't know, do what you want. Yeah. And I kind of got do what you want. So I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm not sure which is better here. Um, so I, th- I ended up choosing that. But I was, mm. for some reason, the switch flipped to me when I chose that because mm. I then ended up becoming very functional. Mm. Because I was in Southampton doing uni in Southampton, I was living at home. So I was like, well, I've already got my mates that live here with me already. I don't need to make new friends. I'm going there to get a piece of paper and I'm getting out. Um, so I was quite ruthless about it and very good with trying to get the grades and kind of trying to up the projects each time. And the third year, obviously, before graduation, we had this project called Agency Simulation. So it was find an agency that's about, so it's a marketing agency or an advertising agency, and then get them to give you a brief, and then after that, um, go and present it. So I had this, I had me and a team of three meh, people in a group and I was like well I'm just going to take over this whole thing so I kind of did the whole thing myself put together this monster pitch and we ended up reaching out to a local agency whose client happened to be B&Q um, and that local agency is always known for hiring graduates out, you know, mm. out of uni mm. but also B&Q was as well mm. so luckily we got that kind of dual brief so I was like right well I'm kicking ass on this I'm going to make sure this, they're the best. this is the best student pitch you've ever seen uh, and I did and I ended up getting job offers from both B&Q and that agency that we pitched within once we graduated so I was like okay that's cool that's incredible thank you um, because I, one thing I can do I can talk whether I can walk or walk is a different story it doesn't, it doesn't matter but yeah exactly that's why I've kind of made sure I've built a team of more talented people than me in their certain areas and mm-hmm. um, my job is to sell 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 what, so sorry question what was the pitch do you, do you remember what, what it was so the brief was um that we had to basically sell b and q to renters mm. 
because renters were just hopping on the IKEA culture of oh, I've broken, I should get a new one. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm not putting something up on my wall because my landlord would be on my case. Whereas there's so many different alternatives and where you could do it. So like my uh, the brief was essentially figure out how you're going to sell that to people. So we came up with this campaign that was all about finding the missing piece. And it was like kind of puzzle related and we did it in kind of billboard form and TV and radio scripts and all this. Um, and looking back on it now, it was a pretty trash idea. Um, but it, you know, it sold well. It's good well. enough for them to, to be It like- sold well at the time. And I think mm. marketing and advertising has changed so much since yeah. then because our, our course got cancelled the year we left because of how unrelevant it is now because they teach you if anyone's ever seen mad men they teach you like that show that is how advertising agencies mad, mad men, yeah. still work so like you just sit in the boardroom and go hey what about this johnny and then that, that's how <laughs> that's how it is you just come up with ideas and they're called creatives and they're literally something so they come up with ideas sketch stuff and hopefully the client likes it mm. but it's all focused towards traditional platforms mm. so tv radio print Whereas those are becoming less and less relevant by the minute every single time. Um, And that's really what they didn't prepare us for. Like we worked in advertising, but they didn't tell us about marketing, which was basically 70% of the industry when we came out. So I'm very lucky that I went and got work experience myself anyway, just so I knew what it was like out there. Because the rest of my classmates weren't so lucky. A lot of them took a long time to get their first roles. What experience did you get being Q or? So that was when I graduated and got a proper job. But before that, in second and third year, I managed to work for. Uh, and this again, this is my first experience meeting the business owner. So it was um, a company called Virtual Umbrella. They used to be based in Southampton, but now they're based in Brighton. And it was VR marketing for for companies basically. So they do events and uh, VR marketing as well. And it was just two of them at the time, and I came in to just help them as a student write blogs or. You know, set up kit or whatever. Mm. At least you did one day a week, but I okay. sold it like. Was it a, paid? No, um, none of the work experience I did. No, <laughs> no, no, but it's it's good though because yeah. I speak to sorry to interrupt you. No, I, no. I speak to interns now that work with me, and they the ones that I, I bring on board is the ones that have the attitude of mm. I just want to get experience so I can build my portfolio. I'm like, yep. okay, great, fantastic. Versus ones that just want to get paid. Mm-hmm. Like so, if you got skills, you get paid. But if you don't, you're not. If, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm paying you to learn. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> just look like a primary school to you. You're like no. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, but sorry, go on. No, no, that's cool. But yeah, it's lucky that I went out and got that experience just mm. one day a week there. Mm. I think I spent a little bit of time at another agency just to know what know what it was like and also know the differences between mm. agency and in-house, which was the first big mistake I ever made in my career yeah. because people don't tell you the difference between agency work and in-house work. So, and I've learned this very, because obviously I'm a creative type. I want to mm. do stuff, I want to have the ideas. Mm. And when I got given the choices of those two places to work, mm. I was like, okay, cool. What sounds cooler? Advertising executive or graduate producer? Because those were the two roles at the time. Um, one paid like £2,000 more a year. And I was like, oh, I'm taking that one. I'm taking a big company. Was, was that the agency one? That was B&Q. So that I took was that. in-house? Yeah, yeah, it was in-house. And it, as soon as I hit the ground, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to be creative. I'm ready to do loads of stuff. And then I'm like, oh my God, we don't actually do any creative work here at all. We just farm it off to like five, six different agencies because the company's so large. You don't do any ideation. You don't do any. You don't write the scripts. You don't do anything. Anything in a large but you get company. Paid more. Yeah. To do less. You are essentially a coordinator and an admin when you work in-house marketing. That's okay. So I was going to ask you the difference between in-house and agency. Yeah. Side. So if you think you would suit a more slow-paced career that will allow you to rise up the corporate ranks, because I thought I was going to be a corporate guy. I thought it was going to be the suit when I first started mm. very wrong I was because you get so bored so you can't express your ideas because mm. they're paying someone else thousands and thousands to mm. make ideas um, and you know yeah so they're paying thousands and thousands you know of companies to make, make these ideas mm. so that, that was the game but I had no idea mm. no one told me the difference and in that that's where I was like, oh my God, just have a full existential crisis every time I go to work. I'm like, this sucks. Very much Neo in the Matrix. Was it was oh God, it was awful. It was like, hey, take this ad that another agency's made of these toilet seats and check with the toilet seat department whether that's got the right details on for that product. And after you've taken it to the toilet seat department, take it to legal to make sure everything's you know, settled down. And then once legal say it's okay, you bring it back and you say okay to the agency. That is your entire job as an executive at a large company. I hated it. Uh, but if you just want to turn up and get the paycheck and you can turn your brain off during work, then that's go for it. And I envy you so much because I was struggling struggling really? because it was awful it was so boring good, that's a, but that's a good struggle though it's a good problem to have i yeah. guess but like also when you when you first graduate you're still like am i doing the right thing yeah am i on the right path um and you know 
<laughs> when your mind just sends you alarm bells every morning and you've got that dread, you don't want to go to work, it's obviously, you know, your brain yeah. and your heart telling you, you're in the wrong place, kid. Um, and um, admittedly, it's the only job I've ever left without any notice. One day I just stood up from my desk and I walked out. <laughs> you didn't tell them nope. <laughs> obviously I got calls and I was like, oh, nah, I just can't be doing it anymore. I was like, I will flip a desk. I was like, it, would be, it, felt, it felt quite maddening because everyone around me was like fine here. And I was like, why is no one freaking out with me here? Did you talk to any, anyone, your manager or anyone about this? Well, I didn't really know how to articulate it at the time. Right. Because he, because he wouldn't get it because he's fine with it. So if I looked at him and went, are you not bored? Are you not trapped in this corporate environment? And does this not infuriate you? go, no. You know what? There's an art, and I think we learn it with, with age and maturity, mm. of communicating something to someone about how you feel without expecting them to know how you feel, but to just communicate it so they understand yeah. what you're saying. At the time, I was so scared yeah. it would come across offensive. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was dissing his entire being and lifestyle. Yeah, nothing to do with him. Like yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, that was... I was well, 22, 23 at the time, so I was freaked out and left. So you um, just left? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't regret it at all, by the way. Like, no, but the thing is, we do these things as well. I mean, I've done outrageous things as well like that in my career. Yeah. You do it, it's a part of life. Yeah, it? you got to do it first. Well, no, after that, I was like, oh, I felt bad ever since, to be honest. Um, and I'm sure that they were once some of the first people I connected with on LinkedIn, so I'm sure they're seeing what I'm doing now and they're like, that, that <laughs> bloody layabout who left. I thought it was so funny because the other day, Someone that I worked with in my first job liked something on LinkedIn. I was thinking, I wonder what you think of me because yeah. I was so. I mean, I'm still a little bit mad, but I was <laughs> definitely a crazy graduate when you first met me, like just yeah. all over the gaff. Yeah. So I think I'm not even thinking. I wonder if this is okay. But anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I, I've no, I'm, I'm curious. One day I might just swallow my pride and reach out and go. I'm so sorry for what I did four yeah, years ago. I need to do that as well. What, what? I've got some apologies to give. To <laughs> it's just part of my therapy. My therapist told me to do this. Um, <laughs> write a letter and just say at the end Shogun and mm. maybe they might Google Shogun again well yeah to be fair because now looking back they'd probably be a prime client for us to reach out to and yeah. dum dum over here burnt that bridge years ago so there's no there's no point ever reaching back out it's, again it's maybe they'll see this podcast and yeah, maybe and also people change the business yeah, like, yeah. So you don't always get the same people. Weirdly enough, though, again. most of the people I work with are still there. Oh, no. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's not good. No. I mean, each of their own, but for yeah. me personally... It's impressive. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. So Shogun, as a company, is the job I've had the longest, apart from part-time at Foot Locker. Mm. I've never stayed in a job longer than... A full-time. Well, a full-time, I've never stayed in a job longer than 10 months. Because I would get bored and leave, bored and leave, with a new job lined up, obviously. Because yeah. I was very much grass is always green and grass yeah, always yeah, green. Yeah. Because I was desperate to find, to find else. that thing that suited me, the thing that yeah. I didn't want to like not jump off a bridge every time I had to go to work. Because it's just so I hated work so much, um, and I think it's probably the personality I had. But now I'm very grateful that you know business things have worked out for me yeah. because this is where I belong now. Yeah. As stereotypical as it sounds, like that is where it's supposed to be. Because I'm just that type of person. Do you know what? I feel like you sound like a um, uh, similar to me, a typical creative. Mm -hmm. Because when you're a creative and you're put into like a corporate setting, you you are gonna get bored after. I haven't lasted in a job more than probably similar to maybe seventeen months, so a bit longer. Fair than play, you. yeah, <laughs> no doubt longer than me. <laughs> seventeen months, yeah. uh, and I've had the question. I've always been like, I've always been like, I want more. I want something else. Mm -hmm. I'm bored now, and I think it's a creative thing because when I look at when I used to work in advertising and I looked at the trend of freelancers, it's mm. predominantly in the creative department, mm -hmm. predominantly in design, predominantly because they probably want multiple things to be working on. Yep. So that's just what it is. It's just understanding and knowing what works for you. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So um, so yes, yeah, so on to on to that. So after being Q, how mm. did you? How did you transition into an agency? What happened? I just applied. Uh, I was okay. I was I was very good at. Um, I've never I've never not gotten a job in in marketing. So okay. I've, I've won every single job I've ever applied for first time. Oh. Um, and it's because I approach everything like a business of one. So okay. it sounds like a bit of a brag, but what I did was is I I created this thing called. Where, where basically for when someone asks you the question tell us a bit about yourself 
I prepared a full presentation to answer that question uh, okay. because no one really does that. And it allowed me to take, right, how do I take my experience at Foot Locker? And I also worked at Virgin Media and for Samsung as a salesperson at some point in my life, uh, all part-time roles. Uh, and then how do I take that one marketing job and how do I spin it into the world's best narrative? Mm. So I have still have the full presentation of like, um, here's me. I had this education and I took these extra qualifications because I knew these skills would be needed later. Mm. Then even part-time, what the sales job taught me was mm. this, it taught me personal personality taught me selling it taught me interpersonal skills taught me how to chase leads for some of the ones that needed phone calls and all that kind of stuff and then i even take experience that wasn't that relevant and turn it into something extremely relevant if anything the skills i learned from retail i use more than my <laughs> most of the marketing stuff they teach you at uni um so yeah then you go on to you know tell like the project you worked on or the projects you worked on at bnq the time i stayed and left they just redone the entire marketing approach so I could spin the narrative that I was part of that process mm. and I weighed in on certain things and helped tweak radio scripts and things like that, mm. uh, which I did. So you end up pulling people through this story of why you're this perfect person who's come in and going to add extreme value to the business because now it's a case of you're almost bringing in this this person to do this crazy good, good project. Mm. And as soon as you finish that presentation, after you, they've just asked to tell us a bit about yourself, they're like, uh... I don't think I have any more questions. Yeah. I'm like, didn't think so. When do I start? Uh, and it was like, I'm going to make sure that I'll never lose because no one else will do this much preparation. So were you, did you ever think to, to yourself, oh, the company's going to think this is too much? Nope. You always just kind of felt like, yeah, this is me, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I was like, I think, a, I think a, a company's going to be like, holy crap, we lucked out with this one. Like, that's, that's how it needs to, I was, whether or not it was a bit delusional at the time, uh, I was like, I'm an extremely valuable asset, so I'm going to make sure I come across as such. So you're saying you've never been rejected from a job? Um, no. Wow. That's like, <laughs> no, that's record-breaking. I think I've applied for... Yeah, I think I've applied for... like If I've interviewed, I've won it. So I've been, I've yeah. probably been rejected at the uh, CV stage. Yeah, but... Uh, but yeah, I've never lost a job interview once I'm in there because because I won't allow it. And it's the same thing with our our conversion rate of Shogun's at least like sixty percent. Because what, what sales conversion rate? Yeah, once I started talking to him, it came over. And the only reason it wouldn't convert is because it was not right for the business. Okay, I'm I'm gonna need to learn a tip or two from you, and I'm sure people can learn something from you as well. <laughs> it sounds like I'm bigging it up, but like that's 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 like my I wouldn't say my only skill, but that's like my only skill. Like I very much look at everything from like a puzzle piece chess level. Like I'm trying to stay two moves ahead of you by wowing you with this presentation, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring this because when you look at a company from the outside, sometimes you can see the gaps. Right. I do it now. I did it subconsciously back then, didn't know, but now I do it in a sense of okay, I can look at a company's social media and realise what the problem is. It's either going to be resource, it's going to be understanding, or it's going to be um, probably they don't even care about social media anyway. And I, I can fix all three of those problems mm. with a holistic service or a part of a service. Mm. So then you reach out with that specific thing. And it's mm. normally the, the game is how do I get the foot in the door? That's, that's the whole, it's the hardest part about it. And mm. anyone who's in the service-based business will know mm. that it's the, bit that, it's the bit that sucks most, to be honest with you. Um, but foot in the door constantly. Um, even when I used to, again, one of the ways I used to optimize the reach out process for, for new jobs was I ordered 10 A4 um, golden envelopes from Amazon. I put my CV cover letter in it, put a little emoji sticker on it, and it just said, your golden ticket has arrived and send it to the MDs of all the agencies I wanted to work with. Uh, because no one's not going to open a giant golden envelope and see what's inside. And no candidate has made that level of effort either. So again, I'm like, how do I be that next step ahead of someone else? Because everyone's like, oh, the job market. Yeah. I'd, I'd say if I turn out 10, I'd get responses from seven, six. Even if they didn't have anything available, they acknowledged how cool it was. So you know what an intern or a, a graduate's going to do when they want to apply to work with Shogun Social now? If they hear this. <laughs> I've, <laughs> said, I've said this on multiple panels and podcasts and no one sent me a golden ticket No one's yet. done it yet. So this, mm. is, this is your sign. If you want to work with Shogun Social, that golden ticket, mm -hmm. if you want that experience, that golden ticket... But this is potentially yeah. But this is something they taught us in advertising, though, because really? yeah, advertising agencies have done this for the longest time. So a colleague of mine, who's we actually occupy a space now in the office we're in, he's, his his company's bigger and has moved over. Um, he used to send branded bags of sugar to offices with their logo on it. So every time someone opened the cupboard to make a cup of tea, which is going to be like four times a day, they're constantly seeing the brand. So that one's a good longevity one. But people will do off the wheel stuff. Someone brought a chicken 
strap their CB to it and just let it loose in the door of the, the agency they wanted to what, work a with. Chicken? Uh, an actual physical chicken. Okay, and then that's, just that's scary. Yeah, it is scary. And I don't think they got the job, but <laughs> people do this wild stuff. No, they do. Do you know what? I remember when I was at Depop, um, this is the wildest that I've seen. Someone, um, you know what Depop is, right? Yeah, yeah. Someone sent like a, a box full of, I guess, items mm-hmm. and they personalised everything to each recruiter and the team. So I had something, mm-hmm. each person had something. We didn't, Weirdly enough, we didn't actually interview them, yeah. but we was like, oh, this is cool. And yeah. then that was it. Sometimes, because like, if that candidate ever hit you up on LinkedIn, you know who it was. They did, and, and I responded, yeah. And yeah, and the thing is, recruitment and getting jobs, the same as you know, gaining clients, is a game of marketing touch points. It is, yeah. And subconsciously, whoever sent that and myself was doing something called account-based marketing. And it's just a bit more of a wanky term for find your ideal five to ten customers mm. that you'd love to have mm. and do something amazing to customer for each one. That's not just a, hey, thanks for connecting on LinkedIn, because yeah. everyone does that. That's the thing. So, yeah, find something custom to do, because if they're really worth it, mm. you're like, what would I What would I do? You know? Just give us some ideas. Like, So for those that are, have, have service-based business, just starting out, want to attract clients, mm-hmm. what are some of the ideas that can work potentially? You can do anything. So you can do it on the cheap side. One of my, one of my friends bought little um, rubber feet from Amazon and just sent them <laughs> in a postcard and just went, this is me getting my foot in the door. <laughs> So just a terrible dad joke, right? So you can do that. I'd love that if yeah. I did it. You can go really above and beyond. So um, there's a really large advertising agency called McCann. Yeah. And in one about outside their HQ, there is um, uh, basically what's called, I think it's called the Golden Girl, where it's a statue of a, a kind of little girl with a cape on going like this. And someone painted themselves entirely in gold, still outside next to it, and said, McCann, give me a job. And it worked. Some guys bought, you know, his last paycheck and bought a billboard. If anyone's ever seen that one, um, one of the ideas I was using, you can feel free to steal it if you want to. I wanted to get a custom shoe box done, like a Jordan box, but put Shogun on it because it's black and gold and it would fit. Mm-hmm. And then just put some custom stuff in there about who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads of different things, um, and as long as you can afford it. And again, this is why for companies as well, put that yeah. budget aside, because uh, a lot of people think direct mail's dead. But as long as you don't treat it like direct mail when you're sending out some custom thing to yeah. to a prospect, then yeah. the game changes and you're very memorable. So question, how can you really stand out then digitally? Because I thought, or remotely, I guess, mm-hmm. because right now, um, I feel like cold calling could be a little bit difficult because people are at home. Doesn't work. Yeah. Post, post-pandemic, no one is here for that that corporate reach That's, out. Yeah. I'm not, not putting up on any phone calls, I'm not putting up with any emails, and I'm not putting up on any LinkedIn messages. And calling me unannounced is absolutely outrageous. My anxiety <laughs> my anxiety could never no. Outrageous. I've got a schedule, mm-hmm. you know. So how would how I mean these methods of sending stuff to the office, standing outside with all golden, yes. it would work pre pandemic, but post pandemic people are remote, hybrid. Yep. What what what's what some of the things that we can do? Yeah, absolutely. So this is why Shogun Social's whole ethos is posting like a creator. Perfect. Because yes. really content creators are the only ones that have figured out how to stand out online. Mm. And how they do it is leaning into their personality. Mm consistently posting and taking advantage of the most you know the newest stuff on social in regards to the features you have available um so they're often playing around with long form video short form video and just being themselves there's a quote at each at the end of my sales pitches with um and let's see if i can remember it now is escape competition with authenticity if you're building something that's an extension of who you are no one can compete on it and that's 100% true because you can't replace you. So like you creating this podcast is perfect. You just need to distribute the podcast more often right. in the form of these short form clips, find the golden moments. And you'll notice in kind of how I'm delivering this podcast, I'm trying to deliver these concise stories that can be chopped up so I know what clips I can use on the latter end. And then how do I push that? Because again, even how you angle your podcast, if there is a company or someone you need to talk about, you and a best friend get in a room and you talk about 10 talking points that are basically talking directly to the client you want and then just do that two or three times and tag them in it if you want or just make sure they see it because then you're constantly digitally you know promoting their company and giving them value knocking at the door knocking the door and then when you reach out it's going to be a again it's a it's a it's a it's a touch point thing Companies do it to us all the time with digital yeah. remarketing. Yeah, they do. Uh, and Stephen Bartlett's done it, for instance. Like mm. the way we've seen Diary of a CEO everywhere, mm. it's all clips. We all, Literally. It's all clips. And that's how all podcasts distribute. Gary V, Alex Hormozzi, all of the key 
podcasting people yeah. just have these media distribution units and it's not actually that difficult to do mm. as long as you have a vehicle for consistent video content so podcasts being one of them yeah. can be youtube videos that you repurpose mm. or it could be you just being shit hot on creating multiple tiktoks a week right okay i, I think podcast is the easiest thing it is it 100 <laughs> is based on my experience because even now i mean i've got one of my interns looking at different clips from all our previous videos because we've got so many yeah and i was putting them together over the weekend and i was like i forgot about this video there's oh, so God, much got nuggets everywhere like, everywhere so much. but like especially when you start a podcast a lot mm. of people are daunted by the prospect of it mm. because and it can it depends on why you start it so from a company point of view if i'm approaching them saying you guys would have be perfect for a podcast the usual response is but doesn't everyone have a podcast mm. yeah but no because they one they don't have you in the market mm. and two you can start it for different reasons exactly. so in the first year of a podcast you shouldn't give a monkeys about the full show like as people can watch it people can listen to it as long as the quality and the audio is good enough that's mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. but realistically it should be a vehicle for you to constantly create clips to build momentum and actually push and distribute mm-hmm. because trying to grow a podcast just audibly now mm-hmm. good luck with the you know the amount of other ones on spotify and like actually launching on spotify and ranking on there because it becomes a search engine optimization exercise yeah. and that's long and no one wants to do that um or you can do it from a new business perspective mm-hmm. so i used to do this with my old show i had called the authenticity hour instead of looking at the podcast from a you know, either a value-based basis or a clip basis i looked at it from a new business mm-hmm. perspective so i went okay how do i invite my ideal clients on to chat with me because mm-hmm. reaching out to them and saying hey thanks for connecting we sell social media not going to work but hey your career is amazing can i talk to you about it we have a studio down in southampton i'd love to chat completely changes the dynamic mm-hmm. people are more often more always just going to say yes please mm-hmm. um and that like that's because people love to talk about themselves love it and most people aren't focusing enough on personal brands they know they need something like that because it can be one of their cornerstone pieces so use that as a new business thing so if someone's starting a service-based business invite all your ideal clients in that's how we want Southampton City Council boom I've just got ideas so I do this all the time you just gave me an idea hell yeah and guys everyone whenever I get an idea that I, I cannot forget I have to write it down immediately because this is you just give me such a sick idea so i'm thinking to myself now mm. i could potentially invite clients that i want to work with for black create connect on the podcast oh yeah oh my goodness why wouldn't you guys this is this is what we love yeah because that's that's what social media needs to be about it's constant bootstrapping yeah right? that the way i brief in new new clients to my my team is i mm. go all right you're the, now the ceo of this business mm. all budget and brand resonance has been stripped away from you. No one knows who you are and you ain't yeah. got no money. All you got is social media. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. And you need to feed your family with this. What are you going to do? Yeah. How are you going to innovate? Yeah. Right? And that that's how we need to think constantly. It's a fight I, for survival. I think That's the thing. I feel like what I've realised that I perform the best when I'm desperate. Hmm. Like, Everyone does. Like when Put I'm, me in a corner, Rocky. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Like, I feel like I'm at the... If, you know whatever happens i don't have a full-time job i feel like i'll just have to be like okay creative beast mode right now like you find a way yeah you have to yeah so on that note august 2020 right in the middle of the pandemic you decided to launch shogun social Mm -hmm. tell us what was the reason oh my god um well it's always been in my head that i wanted to do it because i knew obviously work life from previous stories was not fitting me very well um and this is the first time we're having to work at home now obviously when we first, if we all think back then we're like oh we all thought it was just going to be a week off and we'd have a laugh right mm-hmm. and i never really got to and obviously obviously this is depending on how people see this but i never got to i never got furloughed i had to work through the whole thing uh so i was like I was, I was kind of pissed that I didn't get to enjoy <laughs> the time off. Did you not get a salary really crazy, but... No, I had to work fully, because it was an agency that I worked at the time, oh, okay. and being fully remote didn't really make a difference to them, or, and I'm not sure if many of their clients left or not. We At the time, they weren't sharing the full That's details. Yeah, it was, and I was, I was running their marketing team at the time, but I was thinking I was getting paid like 22K to run a team of five. Uh-uh. Yeah, I know. Uh, 22K to run a team of five? Yeah, and it was because I didn't like the last place I was at, so I took the next job in, out of desperation. So I was already in that position. Right. so i was like oh great um so and then i'm sat behind my desk i'm in my bedroom it's sweltering hot because it was really hot that summer and i was like mm. this sucks if i have to work here it needs to be for me mm. so i jumped on fiverr i created an ad up there and i put it up on fiverr and Im- immediately nothing happened right Wait, ad for what 
Um, so it was an ad for social media services, right? So it started off as, uh, I think I did brand it at Shogun Digital at the time. I still our emails, but Shogun Social is now an outwardly trading name. Um, and yeah, I just went, you know, we'll do Facebook ads, Instagram ads, we'll, we'll, you know, manage organic socials as well, the, the whole nine yards. And the first one or two... <laughs> my camera's doing this all the time. You right there, camera? All good? Fantastic. Um, It's all good. So, yeah, when I think about it, it was, yeah, I I went on the freelance website, Fiverr. Um, I then put up an ad on there with showing digital, selling kind of your basic social media services. So there was no niche at the time. There was no kind of strap line that there is now. There's no ethos in terms of how we do things creatively or stand out. Um, But it was just, you know, strep services. Nothing happened for the first one or two months, literally, because I think I put the ad up in July 2020. Mm. And then suddenly... I just started get. I got one come through as an from inquiry. Fiverr. Yeah, from Fiverr. Got one, converted that one. Got another one, converted that one. And I was like, bear in mind, the price is like three, 300, 200, 400. And I was like... I, that's good for Fiverr, you know? Yeah, and I was like, I couldn't believe I was getting away with it at the time. Plus, I wasn't actually going through Fiverr. As soon as they messaged me, I was like, come chat to me somewhere else because I'm not paying the commission on Fiverr. And um, um, what were you doing for them? What services were you providing? So it was mainly organic social media management and okay. strategy because what I did was I took the narrative of my career and said I'm an advertiser that's worked on these big brands mm. and what I'm doing now is a fresh perspective on how we can bring these things to the social media, taking the ethos of big brands and bringing it to small ones. That was the angle at the time. Um, so after after that, I just ended up, I was on the press pistols, like halfway replaced all my salary. So, but I was working all evenings, weekends. It was it was hard because I promised a lot for the, for the price we were charging. Mm. Uh, and then I was just like, meh risk it for a biscuit because i was just on the end of signing another one that would have replaced my salary mm-hmm. ended up signing it replaced my salary basically what would have been 22k um and i just left immediately with no plan no savings so did you um <laughs> i love, love how crazy this is um did you start up a business or was you just getting this no i set up as a sole trader yeah okay um but it was after i left like i was okay. i was doing it a little bit a little yeah, bit yeah, sus yeah, at yeah. first because uh, yeah, yeah. it wasn't that was it. i just didn't know yeah um, and me i was just i was just trying to escape i couldn't give a monkey's how it was done i was just like i just need away. to get out i need to get out so um and I, and I did it in the end and then from that it started with me just in my bedroom uh to now a team of 11 all based in southampton um that are kind of helping businesses post our content creators, specializing in podcasting, TikTok, and just better social media management and a better way to think about it because the world has completely changed mm. and we're riding that wave of this kind of new renaissance of social media because brands need to post so much differently. Mm. They need to take this money that they're putting on like bus stops and billboards and radio oh, ads and they need to shovel into socials. Yeah. But it can't just be paid because you can't buy people anymore. You have to earn them. And brands are not putting in the same legwork than Mr. Beast or KSI is right now. But they need to if they ever want to stay relevant within the next 10 years. And it's all brand awareness. It's all like, how the brand's perceived. And if they don't start now, they will be left behind. And that's the whole ethos. So question, right? Are there any, are there particular brands that you probably wouldn't work with? Because like I struggle to see... E-commerce like, brands. You wouldn't work with e-commerce. I, I personally hate e-commerce. Uh, and it sounds weird because usually when you think social media company, you think, right, yeah, you think yeah. e-commerce, you think, you know, selling bowls or whatever. Um, but I feel like that's the most uncreative marketing for me because I'm thinking organically. Um, you give me a bottle to sell. and I'm like, oh, great. What can I do with this? I can send it to an influencer, but nine times out of 10, there's no influencer marketing budget. Um, so how do I make interesting content with a water bottle? I can take a nice picture of it. I can maybe make a video of it in action, but organically consistently i can't turn this into a content creator but if you give me an accountant with lots of knowledge i can turn that person into the most valuable accountant online i can take something from boring to brilliant so we actually work with a lot of b2b and public sector clients Mm -hmm. because i lean into the people within an organization to be the x factor that differentiates Mm -hmm. them in the market not the product itself so I prefer people marketing, B2B marketing, similar to exactly what we're doing right now. Mm. I help people get to that point mm. and large brands to get to that point to lean into the humanity. Because if you have a brand that is, let's take some of the big high street banks, mm. they're never exactly going to be looked on positively in the world because they're the, the banks are holding us all down. You know, um, Whereas if you focus on the individuals that work at the bank, it is a distraction from the big scary brand. And it's actually you get to know the people within here, so maybe they're not so bad after all. That's what we need to get to. We need to humanise everything from the corporate level. And that's why I think it's more effective than if you just give me a water bottle or a slinky to sell. I don't know what to do with that. I'm sure there's many talented people on my team that can. But quite frankly, if I was to take it on personally, I'd be like... You don't want to do. Yeah, unless you've got a big ad budget, I can't do much with that. So 
Is this more employer branding then? Yeah. We lean into a lot of employer branding okay. stuff. Um, so it's employer branding, it's brand awareness in general. But also when you think about the things that perform best online, mm. it's TikTok style video. Mm. Um, and you can have, again, it's not like you can take someone in corporate to make a nice like, influencer style video mm. in the office with, with something like an e-commerce product. Mm. Um, what we're working on is getting clients to provide things like his top five ways you can grow online. Mm. Or if you need a job, here's how you do it. Mm. And t- playing, them, playing around with these hook headlines and leaning into TikTok from a value perspective, mm. a comedy perspective, and really kind of merging the two often so it becomes kind of edutainment. Um, but yeah. So how do you get the clients to deliver on this? Because I remember working at an organisation and mm. they had like an employer branding company come in to do yep. pictures. I think I'd done even like a little mini podcast for them. Yep. And it was that no one in the company wanted to do it. It was like, we've got our work to do. Nope. Like, we've got things to do. So how do you not only pitch the ideas, but how do you get it to actually happen so it's, it's a twofold two or threefold process so especially when we work with large corporates the first thing we do is we come in and we do a large training session with as many of the key stakeholders as possible it's a session called understanding native social right here's how all the platforms work right now here's marketing and status in right now here's how we need to change but here's also the massive potential we have then it's obviously followed up with the actual strategy of things and usually in the first pitch there's a whole approach we have called content pocket approach where we show how they can become more systematic consistent like youtube creators like ksi mr beast and so forth um so we go the idea is to start them off being excited by the potential of their own brand again mm. then level up their knowledge on how it works so it's not an inconvenience they're actually in the know because mm. that's the major part of it mm. if again if you come in without context say and employer brand things here to distract yeah. you from your workload it's like the blow. this sucks yeah. whereas if oh my god that's james james taught me so much last week yeah i'm well up for this let's do it um because a lot of the time in-house you know, the creativity or the like risk risk mitigation is such a big thing um and the creativity gets sucked out of you so often some i've talked to some clients are so beat down there's no there's no way in hell they think these ideas are going to work mm. but if you can light that spark in someone and then keep it going and then educate them what we're actually doing so it's not like completely off the rails mm. then they have so much more up to getting involved mm. our team also facilitate the, the coach coaching within podcasting so if we do a podcast we're sat on the other side of the camera going that was amazing what if we expanded on that for the new audience mm. right so it's a very in-depth handheld process mm. because the idea is to get them as consistent as possible because coming in for a one-off employer brand piece is exactly what where brands are going wrong so yeah. i call it getting caught in the culture of campaigns yeah. marketing and advertising is always thought of in the terms of campaigns so here's here's a budget Here's an objective, three months, chuck it all in there, Wait, yeah. it's great, and it's dead the next but day. But it needs to be consistent. Yeah, no yeah. one will ever remember it. Whereas we all remember our content creators because they've been putting in work for the last five to ten years. Yeah. Brands need to be in that position where they're providing a constant base layer of value, and then campaigns come on top. Mm. And that value comes in in the form of education, inspiration, and entertainment. Because if it's not one of those three, no one cares. You've got like two seconds on average to stop someone's thumb as they're scrolling, so you better make it worth their time. And getting people involved in content and getting the whole change in the culture of the company internally is often part of the transition. So, how do you measure results? I know the obvious thing is engagement, likes, comments, yep. views, all of that. Is there any other tangible ways that you measure results working with clients? So, again, part of the training process is making sure they think in a certain way about this so in the marketing mix there's so many places that they can sell and optimize the return on investment from their ad spend mm-hmm. so there's 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 facebook ads there's billboards there's radio there's direct mail whatever you think email marketing there's all of those places where people expect to be sold to but also the first thing we need to do is make sure you establish that here in organic social we do nothing but build trust relationships entertain right mm-hmm. educate inspire entertain the whole nine yards is all here this is where we keep out the rest of the gunk mm-hmm. so when they see their other stuff they're far more positive towards it it's about changing the attitude of the consumer before they see other pieces of our marketing mix so we start with there the key metrics we focus on are comments shares and saves because those are the three things human beings have to go the furthest out of their way to do and then after that we look at follows click-through rate um and and um reach in general uh, but so i put them in two tiers again because it's about getting people to realize the importance of your most most brands don't really have any comments on their on their stuff and it's probably because they don't have a relationship like that with an audience mm. and they're not asking mm. so if i was to ask any of you you at home what's the last thing you commented on on a brand post or can you even remember any brands you follow cleats actually Cleat, so what, what do they do to make you remember them? So Cleat, they showed a video of someone tattooing trainers on their foot. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. 
No, I haven't. Oh, yeah, that's tattooing a whole, like, Jordans on their foot. Like, a real tattoo. And then I added um, Franklin, who's the king of trainers. Yeah. And I was like, this is, like, this is mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... So they did something to stand out, right? Yeah, they stopped yeah. that thumb. They did something yeah. wild. And obviously, it's either an influencer or someone else has got involved in that process. Um, but, like, that's cool. And they made something worth your time. Yeah. Funny that. And that's the only reason you remember them. Mm. But can you remember the last thing you saw from you know, an accountant or a lawyer? No. or No. And this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm, my process what is. I'm way. trying to help the most of the industries that have never really thought about things like this before. Because the first lawyer that does step out of their shell... They're going to be like, we're, yeah. We're all going to be like, this is, this is a lawyer. This is nuts. This is so cool. This is funny. This is, you know, and it, their, their brand's going to change forever because of it. Yeah. And it's getting a lot of our, our brands and companies we work with to think really big picture on this. Mm. Ten years down the line, how do you want to be th- thought of and remembered? Mm. And that playing field has changed from where it used to be. And mm. if brands don't clock onto that fact quick enough, mm. they're gone with the wind. So one of the things that I'm doing with Black Create Connect is working with brands on connecting with content creators to yes. advertise jobs. So important. Be- because I feel like no one, not I feel like no one does it. Like, like no one really connects with content creators to reach particular audiences. One question that I do get asked by clients, which mm. I'm still, which I answer, but I want to see there's a better answer to this, mm. is can you target people by demographics? So when I say demographics, that can be... Disability, LGBTQ plus, um, mm-hmm. you know, ethnic minorities on socials, and how do you do it? Um, it's it's about the match with the content creator. Content creator, okay, cool. Yeah. So that's the that's the right way to do it. Yeah, you you can't force a match like that. Yeah. Um, and it, a, a lot of the time it will be the hello fellow kids, and it will just be like the most like cringe <laughs> yeah. thing ever. So again, this is why when it comes to influencer marketing. Uh, I often try and change how people think about this. Mm. So can you remember the last influencer collab you saw that wasn't the, the cleats thing? No, I don't, you know. But do you remember the last YouTube video you watched when this video was sponsored by Squarespace, NordVPN, TunnelBear, all of the ones we are familiar with hearing because the most successful influencer marketing to me are the ones that consistently prop up a content creator yes. and work in partnership yes. as opposed to the flash One in the off. pan here, here, here's, here's my cream Agreed. right Agreed. yeah and th- but we don't realize it's happening but those yeah. brands that figure that out squarespace puts an extraordinary amount of money into their into in- influencer marketing so how, they kill it how much should brands be putting aside for like long-term campaigns like say a year for example mm-hmm. how much should they be budgeting uh, it's a how long is a piece of string question it depends okay. on the size of the size of the company and it depends on the match with the content creators mm-hmm. because it, for, for me it's something i've, I've, co- I've kind of coined you know, it, was, it was actually a time i came up in university which is it sounds a bit wanky but true sponsorship synergy mm-hmm. like how well does your brand match this content creator mm-hmm. so when i think of like the top youtube tech creator mkbhd right Mar- marquis brownley mm-hmm. uh, unreal and he's always been sponsored by uh, dbrand who've mm. always done the wraps for mobile phones. Mm. Perfect fit, right? It's the product fit and mm. the culture fit you have with the creator. Mm. And then I'm encouraging companies to look at influencers um, as almost sub, uh, subcontractors and employees because you want to have a good relationship with them. You want to be bringing them down to the office once a quarter, having yeah. a chat, how things are going. Yeah. How can we support you? You want these people as brand advocates consistently. Yeah, exactly. um, but not a lot of brands are thinking about it. And this is why I'm encouraging a lot of CMOs now to look at the stack of how they spread their budget. Mm. I guarantee you so much of that stack is in it's stuff that's... Con- it, yeah, it's not going to social media probably. It's mm. probably consistently going to the places that have historically brought return. Mm. But it's looking forward, it's not going to bring the same return mm-hmm. or the change in the brand that you are looking for. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the key point that I, I always have. It's just you, they really need to kind of switch, the, flip the script and go, all right, all of this is going into TV. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should put that into influence marketing mm-hmm. and YouTube if I want anyone from millennial or Gen Z to know who we are. Because those are the future customers. Yeah, Unless you are strictly 50 plus. <laughs> then TV you should just everyone should just jump shit from TV I haven't had TV since in like four years it's all really? just been yeah I feel like TV only works before Love Island like if, if true you, if but then and then again I'm only ever watching that on on the, on the player Socials yeah on the plane yeah on the um, ITV player is that is that the one yeah, yeah. ITV player yeah. so the digital so yeah so the um, they call it VOD advertising mm. so VOD advertising still makes a lot of sense mm. but actual tv placements yeah nah. no, i can't say the last time i watched tv because also that that is such a 
it's such a hard thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's normally for large companies that have what I call a brand awareness budget. Mm -hmm. So billboard, radio ads, TV, mm -hmm. it's the game of touch points that used to be. Mm -hmm. So if you saw the billboard on the way home, then you heard them on the radio and you see a TV ad, okay, I'll buy Quakers next, right? Mm -hmm. That was the game. That's what used to be the game. It's transferred to a new place. Mm -hmm even for the older demographic and it costs you a lot less you can see a lot more data yeah, so exactly. take some of the budget away from there and put it where you can actively see the results because it just doesn't make any sense for so much of it to be over there it's reluctance and fear from the board level mm -hmm. to let go of what has been working and take a big risk on what could be but as we see every single day every brand that takes that approach is just killing it and they're the ones who have the biggest share of voice well one thing I was going to ask you, just to even give context to companies so they see how impactful social media marketing is. Yes. One, so one thing I looked at um, this week, actually, is that the influencer marketing industry is worth around $7 billion, Something ridiculous, something yeah. Something like that. How much do you think social media, the social media industry markets... Again, if you don't know, it's fine. They're intertwined. Um, there's, okay. I'm not sure there's a specific number on it that I have to hand, um, but I, I know for a fact that there's no way you can remove the two of them. Um, and what brands need to look at more than anything is not the statistics on, you know, the influencer market is worth seven billion. Mm -hmm. They need to look at where the creator economy flows. Mm -hmm. So if I can make this platform my full time job, it's far more likely that there's going to be far more creators and far more viewers and the culture around that platform. Mm -hmm. So when we think about the ones you can make a full-time career off of, mm -hmm. it's only Twitch and YouTube, realistically. Mm -hmm. um, and then everything else you have to get brand partnerships for. Mm -hmm. It's TikTok's biggest weakness. Mm -hmm. And apart from their potential ban in the States, the thing that puts them most at risk to becoming a, an app that disappears. What's the ban in the, in the States? So uh, TikTok uh, in the States is up for a potential ban depending on how they vote on a bill coming on fairly soon. TikTok overall in the States? Yes. Why? Uh, security risk because it's Chinese owned. So they're, they're, oh. how Chinese operate TikTok is their feeds are completely different to ours. They curate the content so the, their population only sees the best and brightest of the Chinese as a whole. Oh. Whereas ours is memes and basically fuckery and fun stuff. So oh. America's thing is you are, you're smushing the minds of our youth um, with your hilarious TikToks and you're only giving the good stuff to you, to you guys. And obviously there's the intelligence breaches in around that as well. So uh, and I'm not sure of the ins and outs of the particular bill and how potentially the Chinese could be using it for surveillance or data reconnaissance for the, you know, the world. Uh, I think India banned it at some point as well. So if, if that goes through, because the US is the center of culture, I think TikTok will either die a slow or a very quick death, or you'll see a mass migration over to something like YouTube Shorts. Because yeah, again, that's becoming really popular, YouTube yeah, shorts. because you can make a, like, make a living on it. They made a big move recently where they um, they monetize Shorts as well as their full videos. So if you can make money on YouTube already, you're part of the YouTube Partner Program. They'll give you a forty percent ad split on when they run an ad on your short. So again, you can make a hell of a lot of money oh, now. Shorts. Yeah. You need to get onto shorts then. Yeah, I, I do. post these clips on shorts. Yeah. But think about every every social media platform has been TikTokified. Regardless yeah. if TikTok stay on top, vertical video content as a culture is going to stay. Mm. So short form. So Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, TikTok. Yeah, There's, they have something called the Watch Tab. They've redesigned oh, yeah. the entire app. If you look on it now, they've redesigned the whole app to look like TikTok. There is the classic oh, feed you know yeah. and the Watch Tab. And that's it. So it's just continuous videos. Um, so every every other company has acknowledged how powerful that continuous feed is. Yeah. And every brand and pers and people using their personal brand need to be adding into this continuous feed because it's changed yeah. the culture of social. Before we're used to advertising to the people who are following us mm. uh, and maybe if I grow, great. Um, because that's how it used to be. How many followers you had, how many people you could reach. Mm. But now there's just this whole new feed that only sends your content to a new audience. If you post something on Instagram Reels, that's only going to new people. It's not really going to existing followers. Mm. It might do, by luck, but usually it's all new stuff. 70% mm. of all content on TikTok is consumed on the For You page as opposed to the following. Mm. So again, another thing brands are missing is optimizing every single one of their videos for a new audience. Most brands talk about themselves in one a selfish manner, mm. where they're like, oh, we do this, we do that, we were here. Um, uh, but they also talk like everyone knows who they are already. Right, so they need to keep educating people on who they are. Exactly. And it feels weird because you're repeating yourself every single week. Yeah. But you should be telling your business origin story every week, once a week. 
or like the services you offer, but just in an entertaining way. So how can they, when once they create the content, if they don't have any followers, they're just starting from scratch, mm -hmm. what are some of the ways that they can push their content? Is it paid ads, hashtags, those, or is it related? Uh, so the, the most effective way I'd say is obviously creating vertical video content. Um, are probably a TikTok first strategy is the best approach, uh, because if you create TikTok first, and let's say you're producing three to five videos a week, mm -hmm. you can repurpose those videos on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, LinkedIn, the whole thing. Mm. But if you can't, if you, if you did LinkedIn first, you can't repurpose LinkedIn on TikTok. So, yeah. because uh, it's, it's just like, I can't take a post about, you know, here's the ROI I got on this campaign um, in a written form. I can't, right. I can't put that on TikTok because it's right. not a video. That's yeah, if you're starting from zero, 100% the best methodology is posting short content. Um, if you can use something like a podcast or a long form YouTube video as the, the vehicle which to create it, because then you can just chop up the best bits and use it to promo what you're doing. Um, but every brand should probably be video first and social first, 100%. Uh, and then after that, it's just making sure you're gunning for a community. So one of the best ways to grow really quickly is to rally people behind you. Say, I've just started this business as selling water bowls. We're trying to take on the big dogs because they've always had the space. There's no way we can compete with Highlands right now without your help. Mm. So hit that smash, smash that like button because we're trying to get to a thousand followers mm. in three months. Help us get there and right. watch us go on that journey. Then you're like, oh, hell yeah, let's, let's take on the big dogs yeah. together. It's about getting people to care in lots of different ways. How can yeah. you create that emotion within people? Yeah. Um, and that's probably the best way to grow because then you're led by humanity. They're not looking right. at your brand. They're looking at what your brand represents and that person who represents it. The it's game changes people. after that. It's about people and community. Yeah. That's so powerful. I didn't even... Yeah, because it's, it's the model we use for business, right? Yeah. Like you, people buy people, not companies. Mm. just take it and digitize it it's as simple mm. as that and that's that's why one of Stephen Bartlett's biggest clips is I hate networking he's like I, hate, I don't do networking anymore I just digitize he doesn't what, need to though no he doesn't he's already made it but his thing <laughs> but, is he's digitized what he'd say during networking because he has the podcast constantly and he delivers all that value people need to want to refer and recommend because I see some great content from people but it's not going to get the visibility because no one knows you Yeah. so I feel like it's a mixture yeah but the only way people will know who you are is keeping consistent with that content true. you create that is true that uh, is factual. and it's probably the biggest thing that holds back every brand is when you walk in there and they know it's true in the back of their mind but it's a terrifying prospect hey brand you're going to need to spend X amount of money for like the next three to five years and expect none of it back until you've earned someone. Until you really put in the work so people give a crap. And you're not going to get that money back in the next year or two years. But you might get it back in five. Because mm. the overall perception of the brand will change mm. if you put in the work. But mm. you need to stay on this journey from now until... Five years from now. Exactly. Because every okay. KSI has been out of ten years. Mm. You know, If he just stopped halfway through making videos in his bedroom... Then he wouldn't... Yeah, no, no one would have cared. And again, brands need to find their feet as creators. Mm. That's another thing. They, maybe they do need to start making videos in the in the respective bedrooms of their remote colleagues. And then it levels up from there when mm. people like it and want to see more. Because mm. that is the only way to do it. You can try and buy your way out of the situation, mm. but then you won't have true brand loyalty. People say brand loyalty is dead. It's not. It's just in a different place because we have creator loyalty. Mm. There's only one guy I watch tech reviews from and it's MKBHD. So brands can do things. MKBHD's exactly. been mentioned about four or five times, so that means I have to check him out. And oh, you guys have to check dude, him out as well. he's, he's the quality from from when he started to now is crazy. He's been leveling really? up and just bringing value ever since, and he's just like been the same. He did this thing very monotone. You know, he's a pretty boring guy if you look at it from a, <laughs> from a, like a really like basic if, level. Yeah, yeah. From a basic level. But you know what? He's putting that work and he's genuine, and that's him. He's never tried to change it, and people mm. respect that. Mm. And again, that respect comes to brands who also play in that field. Mm. Uh, but most of the time, brands are supposed to trying to avoid the situation by paying influencers or paying for ads or paying for billboards or whatever mm. it is. Whereas they are they are constantly avoiding the work that truly needs to be done, mm. and that is getting on there and earning people. Mm. And yeah, it feels slightly risky because you know what if the person you've been building the brand with for a year or two runs off uh, and just joins another company so what you need to have multiple characters within an organization that people exactly. can get attached to um, in-house creators is now the the term for it people and brands are turning to hiring actors they're hiring students in the university or they're taking someone within an existing role in the company and just mm. going you are now full-time creator mm, mm, mm. so it's crazy how much potential there is it's a completely new era of social mm. but all of it comes with consistency work 
and just being authentic, being the practical senses we've talked about, giving people something that's actually useful. And that's really the only key there is. It doesn't get more complicated than that. You've shared some gems Thank in you very this much. whole conversation. Now I understand why you're a speaker as well. <laughs> and I feel like a book is brewing at some point in your career. Oh, I hate like, writing. <laughs> no, but, yeah, I know, but I feel like a book is brewing because you share some really valuable insights in such a short space of time. Thank you. And for me, even personally, and I'm sure that all you listeners and viewers out there are going to take some notes and be like, okay, this is what I should take back to my company. Mm. Question, do you have capacity to take on new clients for anyone that might watch this and be like, oh, let's let's inquire with... Absolutely. You have yeah. capacity. Yeah, okay. so we've, we've been growing and scaling constantly and we have room for new, for new clients always uh, yeah. because you scale based on demand. That's, that's how it works. Yeah. I was having this conundrum the other day because I was like, from a business perspective, it's super weird. Uh, I'm sure we'll wrap up in a second, but um, you have to kind of make the decision between hmm do i want to grow and then run by the seat of my pants a little bit in regards to how much money i have there in case of an emergency or do i save up my rainy day money but literally turn away new business because we can't afford to grow because we need to just save 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 and i was like what a what an annoying conundrum of a thing to yeah, have a and i've been sense checking it with loads of other entrepreneurs and accountants and everything else and they just say oh it's just depending on your risk appetite i'm like okay <laughs> so it's just how it is is it yeah. and again the, just being real for everyone out there that's how that's how it is you don't have hundreds of thousands stored away yeah i mean you can get active capital in the form of loans or investment or whatever it is but realistically it's always going to feel a bit if you start yeah. your own business but you come to learn to you know settle that feeling and that's just the way it is needs to leave from the front so yeah really really interesting stuff but you have to get used to that and how long did it take you, by the way, um, to from the moment you started your business, mm-hmm. then get to a point where you're like, yeah, this is a business. I'm making money. Like, I would probably say we're not even still fully fledged business, in my opinion. And really? there's and there's eleven of us. So <clears throat> I saw a, a, a podcast clip once from a, or another you know, much further ahead business person, and he said, if your business doesn't operate without you, you don't have a business. You have you you are freelancing with extra steps. And I was like, oh, that's rough. That, um, that hurts my feelings. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, and obviously on paper, it's yeah. a business. But um, when we think about if the CEO of um, Quake Ropes left, the business would stop, right? They would find a new CEO. Uh, but if I left my company now, it all goes boom. Okay, right. And that's that's where we all need to get to as entrepreneurs. Best book for that, it's called um, Built to Sell by John Warlow. Okay. Best thing ever. Best thing ever. It's, it's a tiny book and it just takes you from the steps of a guy who wanted to sell his business but realised he couldn't because it was too reliant on him yeah. to the steps you go through to make sure it's a functional machine without him okay. but still valuable and then he can sell it. I need that book because even the other day my dad sat me down he was like, Alicia, so this business you have, <laughs> he was like, how is it going? And I said, well, I still have to do stuff like yeah. every that to, to make things happen he said that is not sustainable and i know that that's that's why i'm trying to work yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. on, on it, so, you have yeah. to go beyond the point of logic for a long time and yeah, yeah. i'm still pulling ridiculous over time but so is everything yeah. that's the, the game's the game, the game as they say it is the game you don't yeah. stop but um mm. but yeah man i'm really i'm really excited about your journey i feel like i'm gonna see you on bigger stages i can see you actually next to stephen bartlett no pressure um if you haven't been there b-tech just, bartlett yeah 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 <laughs> just just shaking hands being on the panel um, and I'm so excited that I've got to speak to you at this time of your Thank journey you. because again when you see people growing so quickly it's like let me catch them whilst I can and thank you for no problem at all thank you for having me I've really enjoyed it no worries well thank you so much and thank, thank you. you for everyone for tuning in mm. as well and listening and um, please do share this podcast with anyone mm-hmm. who you think it will help and don't forget to like subscribe share follow us Black Great Connect and also at Shogun Social on all major platforms, mainly TikTok. I need to numbers up. Let's go. <laughs> we need our TikTok followers up as well, please. Yes. So follow us, Black Correct Connect on TikTok too. Yes. Shogun Social. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Take care. Bye.